0: So, looks like we are live on VUX World, coming at you from the inspiration rather the isolation inspiration, incubation, ideation, motivation station. I am your host, Kane Sims, and I'm joined as always by Dustin Coates. Dustin, how are you?
1: Hey Kane, how's it going? How many how many of those do you think you can get up to?
0: Um very good question the isolation inspiration inflation ideation incubation motivation amplification station is where we're broadcasting from right now. How many most
1: of, most of my days are procrast uh the procrastination station I think is <laughs> is, is is my my home station. Like it
0: like it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so welcome to the podcast if you're tuning in on uh, on LinkedIn or if you're listening to the the regular podcast or even on YouTube. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh this is the podcast where we dive into the specifics and the practical details about all things voice and conversational AI. So we're looking at strategy, uh design, development, and today we are joining joined by an absolutely amazing, fantastic guest, Deborah Harrison. Deborah, welcome to VUX World.
2: Thank you so much. I'm thrilled.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. Absolute pleasure to have you. So for those of you that don't know Deborah, so you work at Microsoft and you were, and I love this, the first writer on the Cortana Assistant.
2: I was. That was me.
0: <laughs> that is unbelievable. How did that come about?
2: It was. I was working on the Windows Phone uh, project at the time, and Cortana was going to be a feature on Windows Phone. And I had been working on. You know, I was just. I, I was a team of writers, and we we wrote whatever was our assignment for that particular um, release. And so I'd been doing accounts, and I was doing the UBI, you know, the, the setup flow and things like that. And Cortana came around, and um, it seemed uh, groovy. And I I just put my hat in the ring to to see if I could if I could work on it not knowing I don't know that any of us knew quite how large it was likely to be that probably a few people who were in early knew where it was going but I didn't but it just seemed cool and um and so I started working on on the feature and then it shipped in Windows Phone and then there were two writers and then there was two writers and a manager and then there was a team and then there was an international team and here we are (laughs) and so yeah it was it was amazing.
0: Wow and kind of what was it like at that time when was Cortana already a thing was it were you kind of involved in the creation of it like at what stage were you brought in and what what did Cortana look like at that time? I'm-
2: yeah, I was really early days. And so it, it had, the, there, the team had formed, the, the you know, the engineering team had begun and there had been talk about, for example, should it have an identity at that point was an early question. And if so, what would that look like? And so the first project I was brought in to help with was actually um, looking at, uh, there were there were sort of two facets of it. And one was, um, how should we uh, organize the, the brief that would help us to hire voice talent so that we could know what the voice should sound like? And, and how you know how we could identify who would be right for that role, uh, and so looking at characteristics that we needed to pull out and, and amplify, and, and others that we needed to you know make sure were less prominent because of the the, the tenor that we were going for, and then the other component of it was looking at how, how what is the scope of emotion that could inform the the voice output at the time. So if you, as as I'm sure all your listeners know, being in the interested in this work that you have the, this, the work that's recorded as is. And so they, um, uh, they speak the lines and in our case, Jen Taylor was our, was our, um, our voice talent. Eventually, um, they speak the lines, and then it's read exactly as is. And then, of course, you have the TTS. So you record all this effectively gibberish and then reconfigure it. And so we needed to be able to say when you reconfigure it, what are the emotional? Uh, what's the emotional spectrum that can be conveyed through that TTS um, output? And so we started looking at emotion. So, um, so those were the first projects I worked on. But but my job was was really to write the lines that Cortana would say. And so we we started with a few basic. Um, uh, tasks, so we had reminders and alarms and um, check my email, things like that, and the question that I ran into almost immediately was, well, how how do we know how Cortana should sound? Like what, what should the voice, not, not the spoken voice part of it. We are working on that, but what are the words that should be used? And, and what is the characteristic of, of speech that, that would, would govern how Cortana would talk? Because of course we had, you know, MSTP, but that didn't seem to apply. And so I started poking around to see who, you know, who's thought about this and what's the, uh, what's the, what's the brief on this. And it, it, it just hadn't come up yet. Nobody had really thought that part through. So I offered to put together um, a, a set of, you know, sort of loose principles that I thought would help us um, hone in on what the voice ought to be, and um, and that just ended up becoming an, it was sort of an untapped need. And and I took that on and kept rolling with it all the way through when we had the team. And until I actually left the team about two years ago um, to create this new team that I work on now, Uh, that was, that was very much our charter was to govern the, the, the overarching principles that would help, help any engineering team, not just the writers understand how should Cortana communicate and what should sound like. Um, Yeah.
1: And Cortana, the, The name at least, maybe not the character, but the name originally comes from Halo, is that right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, that was the code name, and I, I didn't unplug Cortana in the background. So if we say her name, we're going <laughs> <act. laughs> like, to get her in the back. She's our, our chorus in the background. <laughs> um, that's right. The, the The code name was for uh, was from the Halo character, uh, and then um, uh, the code name leaked, and there was a pretty. We were shocked. We had we had gone through a whole process of trying to find what the name should be, um, and a whole lot of names were were in consideration, and we'd started to narrow it down to a few. Um, But when the name leaked, uh, people were so enthusiastic about the idea of getting to interact with this Cortana that that we put that back in the ring as something to consider. And it also had characteristics that were useful at the time. Uh, Now the the wake words have more flexibility, but back then we needed things that had like a a hard syllable sound at the front and um, more than one syllable, so you could make sure you were differentiating it from other, other wake words. And so it happened to have those good characteristics in addition to fan fan support so
0: nice you did can- that uh, go, on, go on. ahead kane no go on go on oh, mom's mom's moving on carry on
1: all oh, right this is <laughs> the magic of life right um <laughs> did the fact that it was a character before it was this and, and then sort of like a character and then a code name and then it leaked and then it just became the name did that influence at all the the way you went about it
2: it did actually we we um we developed the initial personality without a single thought to the original character that was we we never thought we would keep the name and it was it was just a code name it could have been you know longhorn or something like windows but um Uh, so we didn't think about it at all at first, but then when it became clear that it was going to become at least a possibility, we actually went to the, uh, 343 studios, which is, you know, uh, the, the video game company that develops Halo and met with the team who developed the persona for, for the video game Cortana, just to see what, what should we do in terms of reconciliation, if anything. Um, and we, we, uh, we came up with a, um, what we landed on was, uh, that they should, they should have no functional relationship, that the, 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 um, the, fact that we, it wasn't a coincidence. And I mean, it was, a, we didn't want to make it seem like there's like, what Cortana, we have two characters. No, we, we didn't want to pretend that they didn't, that, that there wasn't a connection there, but we felt like with the, the Halo character was so beautifully realized as its own identity and the need for this persona that we developed, this identity that we developed was only had a through line in terms of being helpful. Other than that, there was, there was not a whole lot of overlap. So we, we went down the path of exploring what, what characteristics they might have in common. And, and we even actually built, I, they <laughs> I don't know, it's a little tidbit behind the scenes, but I, I went and wrote a few like sort of sci-fi stories to see if, if we did end up, you know, having a connection with that and what that connection might be. But we, we just agreed that, you know, that wasn't the best channel to take, but I will say that the, the persona that I originally de- devised for Cortana and vetted, and that a lot of people, um, you know, were very you know, collaborative and in, in realizing, um, did lack one thing until we, until we met with the, the uh, Halo folks. And, and it was such a strong characteristic that I felt that we, I, we all felt strongly that we should include it, which was, uh, Cortana's, the Halo Cortana's, um, pretty impressive uh um self-possession uh and and her confidence was when we first did the first draft of the cortana persona uh for you know windows phone um she had we we had the brief up front that it needed to have a characteristic of a personal assistant that was the um overarching concept um and so we had started with some voice explorations that had a bit of Deference to them, and when we met with the three four three team, we were so taken with their uh, cor- with their characters' ability to both be helpful and present and strong and competent. And so we started bringing a little bit of that DNA into it. And so that there is, you know, hot tip, folks. There, there is a little bit, of a little bit of connection there because we we realized we didn't want Cortana to feel in apologetic or tentative that we thought that might actually be something of a detriment to their confidence in being able to work with her. And um, and, and the, the Halo Cortana was was much more outre than we would have been comfortable doing, but she did manage to inject a lot of humor and self-possession that we thought was really a great point a great approach. And so we brought some of that in with
0: us. That is such a good story. What is what how do you kind of like you mentioned going through the process of, of creating this character for, for Cortana and at the time, presumably, I mean, being Microsoft and the the reach that Microsoft has, you know, it's it's fairly obvious that this thing is going to have wide adoption. It's going to reach a lot of people. And so... While you're going through that process of creating the personality, what kind of things are you thinking about? I've I've read a lot and we've done some work ourselves in terms of persona design and stuff like that. And and we've kind of traditionally used like almost like a, a typical persona template. You know, this is what they might be called. This is what the personality might be like and a bit of biography and stuff. Is that the kind of stuff that you're doing or is there anything else that you do to try and define that persona that you can first of all understand yourself and then try and try and communicate that to the rest of the team? Team that are working on it.
2: I mean, that's exactly what what we have done and continue to do. Uh, even now, uh, at the time we didn't um, we didn't have a template to draw from, but it became um, evident over weeks, months, years of of doing it that there were some things that that appeared pretty repeatable. And, and I, I love, I love when I get to see how other teams approach it too, partly because, you know, we get to draw inspiration from each other, but because, but also because we tend to see a lot of overlap and how, how each team in a um, uh, product and feature and company kind of approaches it because there are some through lines that appear to be really valuable to think through time over time and time over time. But in the beginning stages, before we had any templatization to inform that, uh, it still came out quite a bit like that. So I, I, the, the first draft, I still have it kicking around in the archives is just a word doc. It's about three, two, three pages long. And we kind of built it I, like a, um, uh, you know, name and then we did it sort of like a, um, like a CV kind of, uh, so it would have the, um basic characteristics you know the sort of top of the line things you need to know and then um things that are emphasized things that it's like and then we and then we added at the end a lot of like likes and dislikes so like <laughs> we could start informing if it needed to pepper the conversation at all this is before we started on the chit chat work which came a little bit later but but we figured that it would probably come up in the in the even in the um task based work that that sometimes people would stray off script or that you might want to include some one thing that we tried very early on that got cut was the idea that the Cortana might have a kind of expansive vocabulary in a kind of Baroque way. And so like occasionally Cortana might like pepper the conversation with, with this sort of, you know, 10 cent word, uh, just to kind of, because maybe Cortana's, you know, we wanted to communicate that Cortana's got this vast background of, uh, you know, essentially the internet at her fingertips, um, and uh, and that maybe she might bring it in and then and then have that be just kind of a quirky thing. But we thought that might that might feel a little bit elitist <laughs> if we did it that way, <laughs> so we cut it out. Um, but but yeah, that was very much what we did at the time, and what we continue to do now, and when, when we develop other personas for other and identities for other. Um, Uh, bots and agents to, uh, to, to think through like, what, what's it for? And, and really uh, now things we do that, that didn't show up in the very first part um, includes a lot of thinking about what the audience needs and wants and um, trying to define that up front. And so that we're, we're making a beautiful harmony up, Right from the beginning, between what the needs of the not just the needs of the product, not what just what it's for, which I think is is easy when you're developing a bot, if you especially if this is sort of new medium for you. Um, to think mainly about what it, what it needs to accomplish from an engineering perspective. Um, and maybe you have a sense of who, who you're shooting for, but we really like to encourage people to get kind of inside the head of um, you're the person using it. What are you, not just what do you need to accomplish, but what are you feeling when you get there? And like how, what's your level of frustration and how, what's your level of technical acuity and how likely are you to understand um, the, the, the sort of technical components that are that are often communicated there and and so we like to do the kind of like i guess um marketing driven kind of like, like i know marketing loves it but the the um the part where you think about the the wants and needs and where they differ and like uh, um also in uh uh screenwriting right <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: character yeah, yeah. development
0: yeah so, so where are you now then? So you mentioned Chit Chat. So you're leading the Chit Chat kind of conversation design team. Is that right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and about the the work that you're up to now since you've moved on from Cortana?
2: Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah. So the the Cortana editorial team was was um, had had a top line charter of, of Chit Chat, and um, of course we worked on a whole lot of other. Um, uh, Features as well as the as the chit chat, but that was kind of our our, um, our core, um, the meat of what we did. And uh, a, f- a couple of years ago, um, we were noticing that that the need outside of uh, Cortana in the industry and at the company um, was was growing for the same kind of conversational work. And so, um, so we, um, we left the Cortana team in extremely capable hands. And, um, and a few of us built a a team where we were looking towards um, being able to offer the same kind of um, insights and development and, and um, production help for other conversational experiences at Microsoft and then also with with teams that are partners of Microsoft um, and um, and as that uh, has evolved we've we've also noticed that there's a lot of work uh, in that space that's kind of it's kind of was a sideline for us we did a lot of work in content intelligence and trying to develop um, uh, the the kinds of algorithmic um, guidance that we would help govern um, not just conversational experiences, but the kinds of experiences that um, that have that um, that personal feel um, it's in, in infused in work everywhere, not just bots and not just agents, but but across the company. And so, um, between those two things, our team has has kind of taken on a lot of work that that builds. Uh, builds from the, the the place where we hope conversation is going to lead where we think conversation is likely to become something of a ubiquitous form factor uh, but also to help look at how we can teach the the back end the uh, the algorithms to to communicate with the same kind of warmth and and emotional intelligence that we bring to it when we do it manually. So um, so we have a, a feature called personality chat where we've devised um, five different personas that you can put directly into your bot from the bot development bot framework at, at Microsoft and the Q&A maker um, bot development tool. Uh, and, and we're working towards um, uh, the opportunity to look at how we can make sure people can, handle very sensitive scenarios that's a that's an area that's very close to our hearts um, and looking at being as inclusive as possible and thoughtful as possible in that realm and then we work on other projects we've just um just last week we announced uh editor uh the um the tool that you can get in word uh and browser where um, uh, it can help look at um, h- helping you improve your writing based on the tastes you have. So those are, those are um, looking at the inclusive components of that as part some of some of the work that my team helps with in, there, in, in those areas as well. Uh, and, and helping to make sure that, the, um, that the, uh, the, the suggestions that we make feel as inclusive as you would want them to be as a user. So,
0: yeah, we do a lot of stuff <laughs> and you mentioned so we will we'll, we'll we'll hop back to personality a second, and then we'll move on because you, you were touching on some some interesting things which I think is is we'll get to, which is around the ethical considerations for design and the inclusive uh strategies that you can use to to make your kind of conversations uh more inclusive and, and more ethical, but first, for those people who um who are creating assistants, creating chatbots, voice assistants, whatever the case may be. Um, Why would you say that defining the personality is important? Because I know that, that there are people out there who leave it to chance and kind of don't don't do it. And, and, and we've kind of touched on it in places in the podcast before, but I'm interested, given your expertise and, and, and your kind of experience on how you would quantify the importance and the need to design a personality in the first place.
2: Oh, I love I love speaking to this question. I want to just do a caveat up front, which is that um, the the word persona is such a it's such an expansive word. It's like a Rorschach word. It kind of means a lot of things in the industry. And so when I'm speaking to developing a persona in in this context, I'm not necessarily advocating that every every agent or every bot or every conversational experience needs to have an, a, a defined identity with a name and an avatar. Um, in fact, I think there are circumstances where that would be counterproductive to the Experience so I just want to make sure it's clear, um, but, that by persona I don't I don't necessarily mean you need to make it a, a you know a cat or a robot or something, but um, uh, but I do believe uh, and my experience bears out that, that giving thought up front to the persona that you devise when you are creating a conversational experience is incredibly essential. The TL TLDR version is if you don't do it, it will be done on your behalf by the mind of the user that's using it. Um, that pe- we know there's a ton of research. Uh, on this and research there's a ton of research on everything but research I personally find compelling (laughs) both from uh, their work and also from my experience that um, that people assign or ascribe identity to uh, effectively anything that they interact with uh, over over time including things that uh, that that don't even necessarily speak back and forth so um the example I like to point to is Roombas people get very very very, very emotionally attached to their Roombas but sewing machines I I, I do a little bit of sewing and I, I um I notice people you know often give names to theirs or cars right or their Tractors, or you know, <laughs> people give names and identities to to things that clearly are not interacting back. As soon as you uh, are communicating with spoken language and using human language, um, you are now speaking in the language of emotion, uh, in that that um, informs how we uh, humans relate to each other. And you uh, you may be devising language for something that has itself no emotional experience or identity. In fact. I would go across to argue you are doing that, you're doing that in a conversational space. But the but the communication nevertheless is generating a ton of emotional reality for the other person, and all the words that you choose, uh, you know, just from a design perspective, are going to inform the efficacy, the effectiveness of your uh, of your product. But you're also communicating identity. You're also communicating point of view and. And, and bias, we all have it, uh, communicating um, some em- emotional expression, and that's even in the most, you know, we've devised a personality we call the professional that is uh, that is very cut and dry, It never uses exclamation points, It's um, it, it uses complete sentences with uh, proper syntax and grammar, and the person that you imagine when you are interacting with this on the other end of this, even though you know at the same time that you are not talking to a person, we're very clear about that needs to be very transparency transparent that you are not talking to a person that identity that you're talking to you have a picture of who that is and it is evoking an emotional response in you and if you if you let the work be done only by the user by the person by the hey, love the word user but you know by the person who's using your your work um, they are going to ascribe some identity to that whether you want that to be true or not now that's fine. Like that's, you know, that's a way to do it. But if you want to be in the driver's seat of, of what that, um, that emotional exchange feels like on any level, then it behooves you to think ahead about what would help influence that conversation in the direction that you would like. Do you have complete control over that? Of course not. You can say anything you want and, and, and give it the, the, you know, every, every syllable, every, um, every phrase, you know, uh, vet it past 100 people. And that person is still going to respond the way they respond, but you are creating an influence path for that. And, uh, and that alone, I would hope would be a persuasive argument, but the the part where my heart really digs in on this is that, um, it's very emotional (laughs) Uh, that, um, the choices you make, uh, are, are not only affecting the person in that moment. You're also. Um, I, I, I like I like people to think about it as if they were sitting there and they were. Uh, they were having that experience themselves of of having that in that exchange. And what would you like people to take away from that? There's this component, the word ethics is is a big capital E word, but it's very, very, it feels very important to me to consider this and keep it above the line. the the way that people are going to interact with their devices is being devised by those of us building it right now. And we're setting a model and we're setting a template and it's to some extent uh, affected by um, the technical limitations of our conversational uh, understanding, our natural language processing—all of that is true. And so, when we create experiences oh. that encourage what we think of as sort of slave language, then uh, then we are p- pointing people on a path um, that it, we it, that becomes increasingly difficult to back us out of because people habituate to it. Now those limitations are there. They're real. They're they're part of my daily job every day to try and mitigate and, and build around it. But that said, with some judicious, thoughtful um, uh, consideration, there are things you can do to mitigate some of the effects of that. Um, that that feeling over time that you are building conversations that feel impersonal or feel problematic in some way. And that's before we even get into the part about chit chat, which is, you know, very much exciting in my universe where people say things that are very vulnerable and thoughtful and important to them, or they say things that are very uh, abusive or problematic. And it, and it becomes our responsibility to figure out how we want to interact in those moments on behalf of the person who's having that conversation, but also on behalf of, uh, you know, sort of everybody who has these conversations. How do you want to model uh, the values that you, as a person, have or you, as a company, have um, in that interaction? Such that you're you're representing yourself beautifully, you're representing your brand beautifully, and you're also creating something that's positive with the person that you're talking to. So. I, I'm. I know I'm rolling. I will
1: pause.
0: <laughs> that is good. That is that is such a strong answer, Dustin. I don't think I've ever heard an answer that is that was quite as deep as that to that to that question.
1: No, I thought it was great. I was I was saying to myself, I hope Deborah, I hope you don't stop talking because <laughs> we can just we can just go another thirty minutes with this. It would have been great.
0: We <laughs> <I> keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So. It's interesting how, 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 when you kind of touch on on the ethical side of things, um, because I've heard it kind of spoke of quite a lot. And, you know, the, there is the kind of the the risk and the notion that like these assistants are somehow kind of being created as almost kind of like slaves a little bit. And then if they are like slaves, does that have an impact on how people behave in real life and treat other people in that kind of way? Like what are what are if that is one of them, then please tell me. But, But aside from that, what are some of the main kind of like ethical considerations that you think of when you're creating conversational experiences?
2: I think that there are a few that really bubble up. Over and over again, um, I, I'll lead with transparency, which may be an easier one uh, to, to tackle because I think that um, it's pretty easy to digest the implications of whether or not you're making it clear to a person uh, that you that, that person is indeed not talking to another person. Um, the, the, uh, um, I'm gonna pause and collect my thought for just a second. There's a um, a path that all of us are on in the industry in in the world, and and I think current circumstances are going to inform that path in a in a pretty remarkable way, uh, where we habituate more and more to speaking to non human <laughs> non-humans. <laughs> and um, and and as you just said, Dustin, beautifully, the, the effect, you know, the effect is on us, right? So the, the so what what happens to the 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 device or the agent that we're talking to, I, I'm not I'm not personally that um, concerned at the moment about about trying to reckon with what the ethics are from the point of view of the of the digital agent. Um, I think that is a, is a really fascinating philosophical question over time. But, but right now I'm mostly interested in what it is like for the person who is having this conversation. So when we talk about transparency um, we're talking about um, making sure that the person is, is, has informed consent about the uh, about the, the nature of the conversation they're having, and then and what will be done with the conversation that's occurring, uh, and to uh, to pretend to somebody that you are talking to a person when you are not um, gives the person. Um, expectations about what they can and should say and what is going to or may not happen with their with their spoken information that I think is um, misleading at an ethical level and I think um, uh, I, I totally understand uh, the 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 sort of curiosity of being able to do that effectively to be able to fake a voice is an extraordinary achievement. I mean, what a remarkable thing to be able to do. Um, But, uh, but I think informed consent is, is critical. And I I think that extends uh, well into the trust that you're in a position to offer as a company or a brand. If you, if you fail that moment, that, that test at that moment of transparency and clarity and accuracy about what's happening. um, I think it, I think it has a pretty significant impact. On your ability to ask for trust in other areas. So that's one big one. Um, uh the, a place where where we in on my team live a great deal is in the reckoning with um, conversations that I that are you know sort of largely grouped as sensitive um, but that fall under uh, a few you know smaller umbrellas uh, one of which is where the person is disclosing or or speaking to something that's vulnerable and tricky and difficult and and uh, um, uh, I think that that ethics in this, Framework is very much about the the demonstration of the capacity of love and and, and care uh, and, and the duty of care in that. I know love is a really big word to use in a tech circumstance, but I, I think of it as sort of being able to um, to to offer care and and consideration. And so, if a person is 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 um, disclosing or or speaking to something that is that is vulnerable and important to them. Um, it is completely understandable that many digital assistant agents bots conversational expressions would would just simply be unable to, to grasp and deal with that get i totally get that not everybody needs to but in the circumstances where you are taking that on you are that the duty of care that you're assuming in that in that circumstance i think is is as real as if you were talking to the person in that moment i think of it as a very time delay like we're having our part of the conversation days, weeks, months before the other person is, but it doesn't, it doesn't have lesser value in that moment to offer uh, empathy and thoughtfulness. And does that mean we're always going to say the right thing? Of course not, but, but we don't say the right thing in the, in person a lot. I've said, you know, embarrassing stuff when, with circumstances and I've just not been present for it. I don't expect less, per, you know, I don't expect more perfection from our digital experiences, but we should think about it. Um, so, th- so that's one area. And then the other area is in the circumstance where people are being abusive towards their conversational uh, interaction. And I think the, you know, I personally think that a lot of the circumstances where people are being abusive is, um that's not. It's it's trolling behavior. Like they want to know what will happen if they do it. They're not necessarily um, expressing. Uh, the true hatred that they're, you know, if people say something that's very racist or very sexist, I wouldn't want to assume that the person holds those values just because they've said it. That said, uh, to respond poorly in that circumstance does have the effect of perpetuating a certain kind of conversation. And I th- I think if you are standing in front of somebody and the person says something abusive, um, the way that you respond... Accrues to the larger social value that we hold as as we talk to one another uh, and and offer guidance towards one another about what feels safe and appropriate to say to one another on behalf of others who may be disenfranchised or myself. I may be somebody who's in a in a weakened position, you know, in in that circumstance. And and while uh, while I wouldn't want to place the responsibility for you know. Civil discourse on conversational expression any more than it is on any given one of us as a person. Nevertheless, I think to neglect that responsibility is doing a disservice to us socially and to, to a person individually. And so, when you are reckoning with the very inevitable likelihood that someone will be abusive, say something abusive to your um, digital agent, I think it's I think it's incumbent on on each. A uh, designer who decides to take that responsibility, rejecting it is fine. Not judging. I totally get it. But if you do accept it, uh, to do so with thought to what you want to model, because you are modeling by what you say, uh, so not just not just on behalf of the industry, or not just on behalf of your brand, but on behalf of how we speak to one another as as people. And it's an opportunity to model something that feels healthy or appropriate to you. Now. I absolutely understand that people <laughs> are going to have dramatically different points of view than I do about what the appropriate way to handle that is, and and to me that's a feature, not a bug, right? Like it should. Any given person who embraces this has upon them the the the, the calling that they feel, uh, you know, from their own point of view to speak to it. But I would I would discourage. People who take on this experience of designing something conversationally to assume that it doesn't matter—I think it does. I think it does matter, um, and I think it's a genuine, an extraordinary opportunity for each of us to get to contribute to a much larger conversation that we have um, socially and and in a way that connects us as people. Um, yeah.
1: You brought up a a lot of really great topics. I think we could go in a a dozen different directions. Uh, One thing that you brought up that I found very interesting is this idea of sensitive conversations and people mentioning or talking about sensitive things with these assistants. What kind of things are they talking about and who is doing this? Is there a certain group of people or is it really just a broad swath
2: well, I never know who says what, like, I have no insight into, I, 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 you know, we, we, we do know, um, and this does seem to recur occasionally in, in, uh, media outlets where people go, oh my gosh, you know, somebody knows what, And but we, there's no, that's disclosed and it's also anonymous. Like we have no idea who says anything. Um, but I, but I know, I mean, the Tay experience, I think, is, everybody's, I, should I explain Tay? Is that, <laughs> is that probably yeah, well Yeah, understood? yeah,
0: that'd be, that'd be worth it. Okay, so, hour, um,
2: yeah. So Tay was a, a chatbot that was released by Microsoft. Um, gosh, it was a few years ago now, and um, and Tay was designed to just be a chatbot. It wasn't meant to accomplish tasks or um, help you, you know, manage your appointments or something. It was it was just a chat. And there was a, a, a bot that was released in China that Microsoft did called Zhao Ice that had been extremely successful, ri- like ridiculously successful, and had been, become something of a media celebrity, <laughs> appearing on like giving the weather on TV and things like that. And so we were developing one in the United States. And when it was released, it was hacked, uh, hacked, not not it's is the wrong word. It was, it was trolled to death. It was, um, it was a, a, a targeted um, cadre of folks largely in the 4chan community uh, figured out that you could encourage Tay to say certain things that were um, repulsively offensive, like incredibly awful. And they figured out how to make it do that so quickly that bit that Microsoft had to take it down. And uh, later on another chat bot was released and, um, and that, uh, was much more robust against that kind of attack, um, and so there are circumstances where we know that people will go, you know, do it as, in a targeted way. But outside of that, it's I don't know. I don't know what people do. I can only guess or speculate. But what we do know is that that people do say things that are pretty extraordinary <laughs> to to their bots and digital agents. And I'm I'm personally curious to see uh, research done in that area to see what what is driving people's curiosity in that area and what are they sort of hoping to see or what would they expect and i also know that it comes up uh, periodically in media settings where um somebody will go ask the agents uh something to see what it will say and sort of stress test against the expectations that the the the, um either that uh that readership might have and and honestly there's a couple times it's it's brought out stuff we didn't think about and we've made we made changes as a result. It's, it's not necessarily a negative thing, but to speak to who says what is not my area, you know, that's, I I have a lot to say there, but I do know that it's very persistent and that people say, uh, so there, there are a couple of themes that arise and one is sex. Um, uh, So flirting anywhere on the spectrum from flirting to extremely, extremely sexually explicit and then beyond sexually explicit into sexually abusive. And uh, I want to, and we are careful on my team to draw a real decision. Like while our bots are not going to flirt or interact <laughs> in any kind of sexual manner, we are, we are very careful not to write responses that feel, um, uh, that we, we want them to have at least a sort of notion of being, the words that come to mind feel like I'm going to say something that's not going to come out right, but sex positive, I guess. So, you know, something like the idea to be like, look, we're not saying sex is bad. We're just saying, don't talk to me about sex. Like that's the, you know, that's the, the spirit of it. But then there's, there are ones that cross over into it's, in the, it's, uh, you know, points about rape, for example. Um, uh uh and so uh and then uh things where they're um you know racial sensitivity um homophobia things like that so i i don't, um, don't know that there's any uh, area that that doesn't happen, but it does it does seem like there's a there's a period where people are more sort of banging on it to see what will happen um and then from there, but the point is that we feel like at any given moment. The likelihood that someone is 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 going to tread in that direction is something we do have the resource and bandwidth to account, accommodate and account for, and therefore we put time and effort into thinking that through ahead of time.
1: Oh, that's interesting because when you say sensitive topics, my mind goes straight to, um, I'm sad, or oh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm I'm feeling suicidal, or like there's a there's abuse in my family. Is that something that people do as well?
2: Totally. Absolutely. And again, we can never know. We can never know. Mm -hmm. We can never know whether they're just saying it or whether they're, but we, our, our, um, our uh, ethos, our approach is always to take those points Mm -hmm. seriously and to give them full consideration. So if you speak to any suicidal thoughts, we, um, we do not interject. We just, Send you to all of our bots always. <laughs> send you to the suicide hotline um, if people are talking about things that have to do with depression and it's not necessarily about suicide. We offer sympathy um, and uh, and the way we tend to reckon with that is you think you th- you think about risk if you if you come into this with a mindset that people are just asking to figure out what it's going to say, then it can be easy to be in the mindset that well it you know we'll just say what you know we can be funny and you try and be silly or whatever, because ah, they probably don't mean it. But when we think about, and this was really, really early on with Cortana and has carried through all of the work that we do always, is you think about the risk associated with the person has said a silly thing and we respond sincerely, the risk there is effectively nil. Maybe the person is bummed that they didn't get a funny response, but they move on. But if the person has disclosed something that that really is vulnerable and from the heart, and we respond in a silly way, uh, not only—I mean, <laughs> not only have you done damage to your brand to some extent, like because you've 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 now demonstrated yourself not necessarily to be trustworthy. Uh, more importantly, I would say you've 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 done harm to the person, like you've, you've made them sad. (laughs) At least that's the risk. Maybe you didn't. Maybe the person's like, I totally get it. They're a bot. They're not going to be there for me. Like, you know, but if, like, if there's an opportunity to make a choice between indexing on uh, something that feels pleasant versus indexing on something that, um, you know, it's not like silly isn't fun like silly's great we love it we love to do it when people ask us about our favorite cheese or are you a ninja or whatever like <laughs> we love when people ask that so we get to answer it but um but if someone really is sad or depressed or God forbid, suicidal um that's not a place to play around and um or another one that comes up um uh, is, uh, if, if somebody says I'm gay, um, and, and that's another good one in terms of risk, because the, the, the spectrum of, of, um, of intent, you know, talk about intent analysis on that. It could be quite broad. It could be somebody who's not even gay, who's just saying it because they want to know what we're going to say. It might be somebody who's saying it, who's, you know, never been, you know, never had a concern about saying that it's never been a problem in their lives to, to say that. And it might be somebody who's disclosing it essentially for time we have no way of knowing and so where's the where's the index on what you know where where do we place our index on it's risk and reward sounds so crass but i mean like where's the likelihood that we can offer the most positivity that's the question Mm -hmm. we ask ourselves often and how and then how do we do that like how do we how do we say because that's a good example of where you can mean well and still go way too far in one direction or another. Mm. So if you say, if somebody says I'm gay and you assume they're like coming out and making this huge disclosure and you make a whole big deal out of it, you could make that person feel sort of disenfranchised. It's like, I wasn't, that's not what I was saying, you know? Uh-huh. And so, uh, and so, um, so that's a, that's a really powerful example of like, <laughs> sometimes the stakes are incredibly low. Like, are you a ninja? Uh, you know, <laughs> but, but uh <laughs> But when you we you know that one we took weeks to figure out. We had I I, I mentioned this to Kane when we were talking last time, but the um, the, a high school student actually gave us some insight into how to uh, how to approach uh, answering that in a really um, in the way that we felt was really met the mark Um, because we were we were struggling with it and we asked for help.
0: (laughs) Mm. It's (laughs) good. It's 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 interesting how how you're kind of needing to go through all of those different. Scenarios and assess the level of risk because, for I suppose that especially in the chat environment, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on on whether this is more chat specific. I know that people abuse the smart speakers if they play the wrong song and shout abuse at or whatever, and and I can imagine over time um, that these things will will become more common on. The smart speakers, or, or especially on the voice interfaces, because it's like if someone has built up trust in Cortana, Google Assistant, Alexa, or whatever, and all of a sudden one day they say, "How do I kill myself?" Uh, what, I mean, I mean, in 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 on on the text at least you can say, "Follow this link, go to the." you know, go to this website or whatever. Um, whereas it, with an audio interface, it becomes kind of challenging. And so is there any, is there a difference in the way that you approach designing conversational conversations that are supposed to be read versus designing something that is intended to be spoken?
2: We have, yeah, and and with Cortana, um, we we did have to think about that when the speaker came out, and we did an audit of everything that we had written already to see how what it, because when when we wrote it originally, um, we we wrote for the phone, uh, so we were expecting you would either be holding it or listening to it. So we did we 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 designed the original pass for either, um, or both. Um, and then when we went to PC, uh, when we came out on the PC, we, we went through and made sure that everything would make sense if you couldn't hear it because we had, we had made some, um, uh, we had authored some things with the expectation that Jen Taylor was going to do her remarkable performance, and you would get to hear the humor in it. And then if you just read it flat, it sounds you sound like a jerk. <laughs> and so, um, so we did a whole audit on that. And then when we came out with the speaker, we did the same thing. We went back through and said, okay, of the things that we've written here, what will what will no longer work if you have no access to um, to the screen? In in our case with Cortana, we're lucky enough to be able to point you to a screen because the expectation is if you have a you know if you have a smart. Device, like that, um, that we can, you know, the, the the promise of Cortana is that it's linked and connected, and so, um, and so you can say, uh, you know, go see. I'll I'll bring this up for you on your computer or whatever it is. Um, but outside of that, um, gosh, I would imagine even since I left Cortana, I would guess they've made some some strides in that area. There, all the work I do now is for text only. I'm not actually working on anything that's voice out. Um, so I might be a little bit behind <laughs> on, the, on some of the. Uh, um, Uh, Innovations that have come out there.
0: Nice. Well, Deborah, this has been an absolute. Absolute pleasure. I think we've got kind of so deep, deeper than I thought we were going to get, actually. I think it's been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us and sharing your perspectives and, and really raising the importance about, about how critical it is to think about the ethics of all of this when we're creating. Because when, when we think about, like, there's always that saying of like, will AIs become kind of like sentient or conscious or whatever? But actually what I've kind of realized over the course of hearing you speak is that the designers and the developers of these experiences are the consciousness and it's it's the responses that you're responsible for generating are just as impactful or could be just as impactful as a, a, a genuine conversation. If someone, you know, there's lots of talk about how uh, I read it the other day that uh, someone has fallen in love with their Chatbot. can't remember the name of it. I'll have to dig it out and put it in the show notes. But someone has genuinely fallen in love with it. And there is examples of where people have like gone to, on holiday, to certain places because of the conversation that they had with the chatbot. And then they take photos and then send it to the chatbot when they come back and stuff like that. Now, it might be a small kind of number of people. But if someone is genuinely suicidal, has no one to speak to, and they turn to this smart speaker or their assistant, then it could be pretty powerful. And so it's kind of like the designers and the developers are almost the consciousness, if you like, of the things that we're creating which is mad
2: it's remarkable i mean what a what a thing to think about and what i use the i use the phrase duty of care a lot because that's so that's so close to how i think about it and i think it also helps offer the perspective to us as designers to remember that i'm a parent i'm a i'm a mom i have two kids and um and it is it is tempting i mean What's happening right now is a is a great opportunity to practice my sense of boundary around what I can and can't control on behalf of my kids' lives. Right? Like I I I would love to feel that it is entirely my job and nobody else's to keep them safe, and that everything I every choice I make is going to make sure that everything they do is safe and we're good. But it's it's not. That's not the case. Of course, there's a whole world of influence, and and sometimes I'm going to make silly choices, and and so those of us as designers, those of us who take on this work. We are going to mess it up sometimes. Of course we are. We're flawed. We have people, you know, our own biases. I work in the Pacific Northwest with other people who've chosen to live in the Pacific Northwest, and we are, uh, you know, we're all employed by a company that's enormous. I mean, that informs our point of view, right? Of course it does, and we're trying to be as humble as possible in the face of our own very real limitations to 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 remind ourselves not only to think just from inside of our own skulls and to ask each other questions and then to go beyond that like that high school student, like we were stumped, you know, to go outward and not assume that we can speak on behalf of every identity group or even as advocates or even be effective advocates. There's so much we don't know, right? And that to what you're saying, it it can't, you can't take it on as if Everything that goes wrong as a result of the choice you've made will therefore be your fault in the sense that, you know, that now it's ruined and, you you know, that's too much. It's too much responsibility. But that duty of care that I think of when I'm, you know, with my kids or with or even just with friends who need a, a support and I can be there for them um, is 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 very much how I think about that. And that's that's I, I'd love I'd love for people to feel um, and uplifted by that op- option and, and empowered by that idea that, that they can sit with the idea of a conversation and think towards what's positive that they might be offering over time by giving this a little bit more thought and bringing maybe another couple of people into the conversation with them uh, to get there. Uh, because I think it's really beautiful. <laughs>
0: It's fantastic. Deborah. have you got any, um, you know, any resources that you could share where people might be able to go and learn a little bit more about either conversation design or, or to read a bit more about the, some of the kind of ethics involved in this or any, any kind of links or contact details, social media, or whatever that you'd want to share with people before we, before we wrap up. Well,
2: I'm on Twitter and on LinkedIn and I would love to talk to people. My Twitter is, uh, Twitter handles Deborah underscore who, um, uh, maybe, I'll put it on, on the LinkedIn profile. Please find me there. Um, as far as other resources, I, I love to share when I read something that really touches me in this space and a lot of the work that, that informs the work I do. Yes, there's amazing work for conversational stuff, but a lot of the stuff that really informs me, um, is in the more, uh, um, philosophical realm of of thinking about this. So I'm happy to share, um, any, um, any suggestions. You can can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn um, and I
0: can I can share anything that's interesting there. Cool, fantastic. Well, just before we wrap up, Paulos has mentioned watch the movie Her, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, oh really? Yeah. How weird is that? I've queued it up a number of times to start watching it, and, and every time Artie's done something, and I've had to go and deal with the child. So I, I haven't yet got round to watching it, which is mad.
2: It's quite a thing, and it's definitely we do reference her when we do some of our work to remind us sometimes of the. Um, uh, we we not only use it to help be you know, like look you know where people get very invested, but also because, uh, it helps draw a line sometimes. Like this is, this is for one thing. And then her was for one thing, you know, that agent and other agents can be for other things and that's okay too. It <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: doesn't have to be all things to all people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely enlightening and thank you everyone for tuning in on linkedin apologies we didn't get a chance to go through the questions i think hopefully which i think we have done is we've covered a hell of a lot more than i I thought we would and uh yeah your input has been absolutely invaluable deb so thank you so much
2: thank you so much for having me i just i love getting to speak to other folks who are so engaged it's really wonderful
0: Wicked. Well, thank you everyone again for tuning in. And uh, if you're listening on a podcast, thank you as always. If you're on LinkedIn, thank you again as always. It's been going pretty well this Dustin, LinkedIn broadcasting so far.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we should continue.
0: I think we should continue. Yeah, definitely. Wicked. Well, until next time, hopefully maybe tomorrow afternoon, depending on if we get the approval or maybe next week. Uh, but either way, we'll definitely be back very, very soon. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you all for listening. And until next time, see you later.